This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello everyone, you're listening to By the Book. I'm Sharmila Ganesan and with me as always, my fellow lover of speculative fiction, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. So today we are speaking with author Wole Talabi on the occasion of his debut novel, Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalufon. Now, Wole has a really interesting uh, background. Uh, he's originally from Nigeria, um, has lived in a number of places around the world, including Malaysia, has written a lot of short stories before, all mostly within the speculative fiction genre. Uh, but as I said, first novel came out. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Wole. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, as I said, you've written a number of short stories. This is your first novel. They largely use speculative fiction to tell African, specifically Nigerian stories. What draws you to this genre? Um, I guess it's a combination of my natural inclination and also my upbringing. So by natural inclination, I mean my father was a chemical engineer and my mother studied English literature. So I guess the intersection of that Venn diagram was science fiction. Um, so I've been a fan of science fiction since I was a child. It's always fascinated me. I've always loved um, stories that deal with an altered kind of reality, thinking differently about the way the world works, kind of looking at the world from a slanted view or an outside view, like through a, through a prism, right? Um, which allows you get different perspectives on real world events, but viewed through, as I mentioned, the lens that allows certain things to be exaggerated. Um, there's, there's kind of a saying that um, speculative fiction is the, is the literature of metaphor um, that allows the literalization of, of ideas. And I really see it that way when thinking about how I write speculative fiction, what I love about it. So since I was a child, I, I grew up reading both science fiction and later on fantasy. I actually started with science fiction. And so that was kind of my natural inclination towards it. And then my upbringing is mostly related to my parents. My dad was also a fan of science fiction and we had a lot of speculative fiction books in the house. So I grew up reading that as well. And yeah. Eventually, you know, all readers, eventually you might get to a point where you read so much you want to start writing your own stories. So I graduated from just being a reader to writing my own stories. And now I have a whole novel published. So if we talk about the, the novel a little bit, I, I don't want to give anything away, but I think um, it's it's fair to say that it kind of combines some of the elements that you're talking about um, while also looking at things through a lens of mythology and faith. Um, it's also a caper story. It takes place in a few different settings. So, so there's a lot to talk about. But let's start with the titular character, Shigidi, because he's a nightmare god. Um, he was made, he knows he was made and created for a specific purpose purpose, but he's not particularly happy about that purpose. He's supposedly the hero, but he's also not always very likable. Um, he's a bit of a follower. He maybe doesn't seem to like himself very much. How did he come into being for you? And, and also, you know, did Shigidi show up first or did the story show up first? Oh, definitely Shigidi showed up first. And you're exactly right in terms of him being more of a follower, someone that's not quite happy with their station in life. And is essentially, in a sense, looking for something 
more meaningful, something to latch onto. And essentially that that is where the character originated. Like those characteristics come from where the character originated in my mind, which is in traditional Yoruba mythology, we have lots of gods which are larger than life. You know, you always have the, the god of thunder and the god of the ocean and the god of rivers, goddess of rivers um, and wind and all these powerful dynamic characters. Shigidi is a lesser god in the Yoruba pantheon and is a god of nightmares. And the way that works essentially in Yoruba traditional belief is you pray to Shigidi by creating this statue either made of wood or clay. And it's by design, it's meant to be ugly and you would put it in the house and you could pray to it to either give your enemies nightmares and maybe kill them in their sleep. Or if someone tried to send nightmares to you or kill you in your sleep, Shigidi could help prevent that. And when I first came across this character of Shigidi and reading some, you know, older texts, um, late 19th century texts about Yoruba mythology that kind of trace the lineage of where Shigidi comes from, my first thought was just, this sounds like the worst job in the world, <laughs> right? Your entire job description is to be ugly and give people nightmares. And I just kept thinking, what must life be like to be surrounded by these other larger than life gods while your entire job description is something so kind of mundane? And it didn't sound like something that a god would even enjoy. So I put myself in the mindset of the character. And that's kind of where a lot of those elements come from, which is my imagination that he probably would not be someone that's very happy doing this, possibly, you know, would drink himself um, useless just to try to forget some of the things, nastier things that he he had to do and would be looking for something more meaningful about his station in life. So that's where the character originated from. Actually, the book, since you've read it, um, this it's called Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalafon and Shigidi is the protagonist, but there's also a co-protagonist. So realistically, it should be called Shigidi and Noma and the Brass Head of Obalafon. Um, because Noma is just as much a protagonist as Shigidi is. And in fact, she came first in my mind. I wrote a short story about the character of Noma back in 20, you know, early 2016. And then the story about Shigidi came in later 2016. And it was only until about 2018 that I decided to tell this specific story in the novel with both of them as characters. So I'm glad you brought up Noma because um, she's... She's probably my favorite character in the book. Um, <laughs> and she's interesting because on the one hand, she's initially quite stereotypically that kind of femme fatale. She's very sexual. She embodies a lot of those physical stereotypes that you see um, around female characters in mythology. But then as you get to know her, she's written with a lot of agency and with, with her own aims and, and desires and goals. How did you approach writing her character in a way that is balanced and I, I suppose has these layers? Yeah, so Nama possibly is the most interesting character in the book to me, especially because when I first wrote her, I wasn't even sure what I was writing her for, right? Like I mentioned, I, the first story I wrote about Nama was in late 2015, early 2016. And it's a story that was just about a man that walked into a bar and met this beautiful lady and they go to his hotel room and they have sex and she steals his soul and she turns out she's a succubus. And it took me a while thinking about why I was writing that story to realize that Noma as a character came from a lot of stuff I had grown up with in Nigeria. There's, there's a lot of um, very Christian-based messaging around sexually 
sexual women and how dangerous they could be in terms of tempting men, potentially luring you away from your good Christian wife. And then they try to steal your soul and either, you know, condemn you to hell. It's very religious type messaging. And a lot of these movies were popular in the late, early, late 80s, early 90s back in Nigeria. In fact, the name Noma is inspired by possibly the most famous of these movies called Neka the Pretty Serpent. You can guess from the title what exactly it's about. She's a pretty serpent, which means she's a beautiful woman that just goes around doing evil things to men. And it never sat well with me what those movies were portraying. So when I first started writing stories about Noma, even in that first story, she was very sad in a sense, but kind of accepting that this is what she had to do to this man. And it was the beginning of me thinking about why a character would exist like that. Because I don't believe in pure binaries, good and evil. I always think everything's about motivation. So I started thinking, what could her motivation be? And the more I did that, the more backstory I built into who she was. And she's, you know, linked again to like Jewish mysticism um, in terms of legends of where Sokube come from. And I wanted to connect her to that larger story of where she comes from, what has led her to this place, and also her sexuality, and that's where her power comes from. And in a sense, that's where she mirrors Shigidi. They are both people that are not happy with the system that they find themselves in, but they're doing what they need to do to survive. And that's kind of her approach to it. It's, it's a survival thing, and she's trying to make the best of it. So I just thought exploring the backstory of that character would be very interesting, and that was my approach to it. It was as long as I was curious about what her backstory was and what made her go, and she wasn't just a simple stereotype, which is the way she initially shows up. That was the way I approached writing it, and I hope that's the way readers picked it up as well. We're speaking with Wole Talabi, who is the writer of Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalufon. It is a speculative fiction novel rooted in Yoruba mythology. Um, we will be back after this uh, with more. Uh, but let us know, do you enjoy speculative fiction, particularly those that take on uh, these kinds of uh, mythological cultural elements? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Books, figurines, movies. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And with us today, writer Wole Talabi, who is the author of Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalufon. So we've heard quite a bit about the mythology that um, sort of informs this book. I love the idea um, of these gods and deities operating like companies, right? They have a board and they have a chairman. There's a hierarchy. They're employees. Literally, they're jobs. What made you want to explore belief and and faith through this lens? So it it kind of comes from, I mentioned when I first encountered the the character Shigidi, that thought I had of, oh, this must be the worst job in the world. And I thought about it as a job. And then I extrapolated outwards from there, which would be if it's a job, then there has to be a company and the company would have to have a system. So that was where the idea originally came from. But as you'll see, there's some elements in the book that kind of critique the concept of capitalism and corporatization of everything. And that came on as I was writing more of the story. I started to see parallels with other things I'd been thinking about. For example, in Nigeria in particular, where I grew up, religion can be very commercial and very commodified. 
You have these mega churches that are kind of imported and morphed concepts from Southern Baptist churches in the U.S. that have expanded this um, evangelical approach. And some of them, we even call them prosperity churches because they preach so much about money and wealth. And, you know, everything is tied to how much you can give, how much material wealth you can give. And the pastors always wear these wonderful designer fancy suits, always have private jets. So, so much of the religion is very strongly tied with wealth and materialism and commercialism. And so that tie between religion and commercialism that I grew up with so much around Nigeria, I wanted to also weave that into the story. Because at the end of the day, I think this is something I get at in the book as well. I believe very strongly that um, across cultures and everywhere in the world, the way we come up with myths and mythologies, our gods are us, right? We extrapolate aspects of our own psyche, our experiences, the forces we encounter, things larger than larger than us that we don't we maybe don't fully understand, and we put placeholders for them using these gods as concepts. So if our gods are us and they reflect us and our minds and our psyches, then they would reflect the way that we operate. So I wanted that strong connection between religion and commerciality to be reflected in the way the gods now operate. You've talked about how much your background or your upbringing has influenced the way in which the book is told. Um, So from Nigeria, you currently live in Australia. You have also lived in a number of different places around the world, including Malaysia, which has a uh, a cameo of sorts, I think, in the book. How did these experiences um, contribute to and shape the novel? Oh, they contributed a lot because, as you already mentioned, the book takes place across multiple locations at multiple you know, different time periods all the way from um, late 10th century to 2017. So that whole sense of constantly moving around in both space and time is my own experience as well. That's how I live life. I'm almost always moving. Even growing up in Nigeria, my family was always moving from one city to the other. Uh, Malaysia might be the place I've lived in the longest to be honest, actually, Kuala Lumpur is the city is the single city I've lived in the longest because um, I was there for about 10 years. But most of my life has been constant movement. And I feel like that constant movement, it gives a sense of dynamicism to the way I try to understand my own life. And I wanted to infuse that in the book as well to make it feel dynamic and interesting with things constantly changing. And these characters encountering other belief systems, gods from other mythologies as well, and interacting with them. So that was really important. And the three main locations in the book, I would say, well, mostly two is Lagos and London. Those are the two cities I'm possibly most connected to, which is Lagos is the biggest city in Nigeria. It's not the capital, but it's the biggest city. It's the most vibrant. It's a unique complicated place full of really interesting things. And I wanted that to come through in the book. And then London is kind of the first place I lived outside of Nigeria. And it's a fascinating place I've been to. um, I've been back to several times. So that's also something I wanted to kind of explore and have that feel of like nighttime London in the book as well. So you talked about moving around in 
well, geographically, but I'd also like to talk about the different settings in time, literally moving in different time periods and, and it's set in different times. Now, we've spoken to authors before about playing with jumping around scenes set in different time periods, and they've talked about some of the challenges they faced um, in terms of not le- uh, not leaving readers behind or uh, confusing them. How did you think about it? Was it something you were concerned about? It was something I was concerned about. I will say there is a draft of the book that is arranged chronologically. It does not work. <laughs> um, I, I, The way I wrote the book originally is essentially the way it appears with one or two chapters moved around, but it's largely the same order. And I think because my main way of approaching the story was, I, I feel like storytelling is essentially the process of making meaning out of events. So the way and the order that you structure events allows you to make certain kinds of meaning. The most common is chronologically because that's the way we experience time. But there can be a larger meaning um, that's outside of chronology. And that's, that's that's the meaning I was going for with this book. I wanted to start at the end to kind of give a clear sense of what was at stake, what was happening. And also it's, it starts with an action scene, which is always fun. But then I wanted us to go back and slowly build into this and say, who are these characters and why are they doing what they do and why does it matter before we come back to the action scene? So to me, it was kind of going, it was the process of at every point when I wrote a chapter, I would always ask myself, why do we need this chapter? And what is, how does it inform what happens next? So I wanted it to make meaning. I wanted the meaning to keep building up as we went forward in time. So very often chapters appear just before a scene and the chapter that appears before gives you inf- enough information to understand what's about to happen next. So I was always constantly asking why and essentially my my objective was because it allowed to make meaning of what was about to happen next. And I feel like that's the way the story works best. When I had finished writing it, I did have some discussions with my editors about potentially changing the order of things. And I I attempted it. It didn't really work. I think because, again, my original conception, the meaning and where we were leading up to was already clear in my mind. Um, And that was the fragmented timeline was necessary to kind of build up into it. Can be challenging for some readers. Um, Some people have complained, I've heard. But by and large, I think it worked. And the majority of readers went along with the ride. And I think they got what I wanted out of it. Speaking of readers, how have your stories been received both by people who are um, more familiar with the the roots from which they come, um, as well as for people from whom all for whom all this is new or unknown or fresh? Surprisingly, very well. It's been received more than I could have hoped for, to be honest, because it's been received very well both at home and abroad. So it seems to be working very well on both levels, which. As a Nigerian who grew up entirely in Nigeria, but has now spent most of his adult life outside, I try to also operate functionally both at home and abroad. And it's this delicate balancing act of being as Nigerian as you can, while also being as international as you can. And there's always, there's a fine line, right, where you can fall off in either direction. Um, I think the book does the same balancing act as well. And I think it's perhaps it's succeeding because um, I feel like, most people that have read it in, say, in the US, in Europe, in Asia, they seem to go along with the ride. And there's enough back, there's enough clarity in the context for them to understand. Even if you don't know too much about Yoruba mythology or whatever it is, 
there is enough going on and there's enough in the characters and in the grand structure of what's going on for you to understand and go along. And for example, um, it was listed, the, the novel was listed by the Washington Post as one of their best top, uh, their best 10 science fiction and fantasy books of 2023, which, you know, was amazing because the reviewers there are not Nigerian. They are not that familiar, but they understood enough of what I was trying to do. And even in Nigeria as well, um, and in, broadly in Africa, just last week, it was listed as one of the five best African books um, of 2023 by the Continent magazine. So I think to me, that kind of shows the validation that both at home and abroad, the the value of the book and the merits of the book and the the concepts that I'm getting at, and also the fun, because that's one of the things I was really going for with the book. The fun of it is translating across cultures. And I'm really, really glad about that. I found myself Googling a lot of the the gods and the references because I was so curious about their backstories. Um, so the book did remind me of writers like Neil Gaiman or um, Enedi Okorofor or even Rick Roden for that matter. But the book is also very much its own thing, right? How much have writers like these influenced your writing, but also knowing that there is this approach to mythology already in existence? How do you keep your own stories fresh or distinct? Yeah, I think I've been very much influenced by especially Neil Gaiman and Nedio Okorafor. Neil Gaiman in particular is a favorite of mine. I have a whole Neil Gaiman collection at home with most of his books. And I like to think of my work as being in conversation with his. At the same time, I was also very conscious to try to do my own thing. And what I've kind of found is the objective is not to not to aim to be, you know, so-called original, as some people would say, but to be authentic, authentic in the way I think about things. So I wasn't trying to come up with some absolutely brand new novum or concept. The idea of gods operating in modern context has been explored by other authors as well. But viewing it from a very specifically Nigerian and Yoruba lens with this specific story of Shigidi and Noma, which are two characters that come to me very much from my own personal background, going on this heist to the British Museum to steal back an object that I felt like I wanted to take back from the British Museum when I visited. That's an authentic story. That's A lot of it is me and my own interest and my own voice in writing. In fact, some of the way the fantasy and the magic works in the book is described almost in scientific terms, which you can see my background in engineering sneaking in because I can't keep it away. So the book is as authentically me as I think is possible. And I think that's what makes it work. And that's what I hope makes it stand out. In closing, um, you've got a collection of short stories coming out very soon next year, February. Tell us about that. But also, are you working on anything else? Will Shigidi and Noma return? Oh, yeah. OK, so, yes, I do have a sh collection of short stories. Um, the collection is called Convergence Problems. It's a collection of 16 stories. I don't want to say short stories because one of the stories is 30,000 words long. So it's, it's a novella, basically. It's a short novel. And most of these stories explore, they're mostly science fiction. And they explore African belief systems, African philosophies in a modern context and also in a futuristic context, thinking about the way technology changes the world, um, but from an African point of view. There are a few fantasy stories in there, about two or three, including one story that features Shigidi as a background mm -hmm. character. Um, so it's called Saturday's Song. 
And I just hope that that sampling of stories is entertaining. I, I personally love short story collections and anthologies. So I hope that collection gives readers a good sampling of my work and my own interests and my own writing style and um, lots of entertainment. In terms of what I'm working on next, um, I can say Shigibi and Nomo will return. Maybe not immediately because I'm working on another novel, um, which is a science fiction novel called Fist of Memory, which should be out in maybe end of next year or 2025. That depends on my publishers. That's a science fiction thriller set in mostly around Africa, between South Africa and Nigeria. So less geographical moving around and hopping around than Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalafon. But hopefully just as interesting to readers. And then after that, I do plan to return to Shigidi and Noma's world because I have a lot of ideas and concepts in that world that I still want to explore. I just, I can't resist these characters. I keep coming <laughs> back to them. Wole, thank you for speaking with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. We've been speaking with Wole Talabi, who is the author of Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalufon. It is a speculative fiction book, fantasy, that draws on Yoruba mythology. It hops all around the world. Let us know, are you a fan of speculative fiction, particularly those rooted in specific cultures? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. us to footnotes where we are um, as we usually do with these interviews uh, just doing a quick review of our experience when it comes to reading Wole Talabi's Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalufon. Wole used the word fun earlier and I actually think that that's a great way to describe this book it is even though it deals with some pretty heavy themes um, you know death and destruction and all of these things it is actually a very fun and snappy book to read and, and I really appreciated that yeah so actually what I I uh, was struck by was when Wole said that he views this book or likes to think of this book as or his work as in conversation with Neil Gaiman and I, I would hazard to say that it, it's probably most in conversation with American Gods um, and Anansi Boys which uh, I mean also Sandman but it, it's sort of two of Gaiman's works that focus heavily on this idea of faith and of gods being petty and of um, you know engaging in these sorts of battles in our space, right? Playing out the grand scale of faith and religion, but in our world. And I I think that in many ways, um, that reflects the experience that I had with Shigidi because it has that kind of um, structure that is familiar to readers of Gaiman's work. But then it adds a fresh spin on it, I think, with firstly, a hero who struggles so much with self actualization, mm. you know, who, who has so many issues with what he is and what he's supposed to be and why exist, and, you know, um, and ultimately, I think, culminates in the celebration of imagination or the power of imagination. So I really enjoyed it as somebody who loves reading speculative fiction, fantasy, um, but also particularly enjoys books that are rooted in mythologies that, in this case, um, 
I'm only sort of passingly familiar with Yoruba mythology, so it's such a pleasure to get to read more of it. Oh, that was definitely a big, big um, plus for me, right? Um, you know, I said I, I found myself Googling various characters and, and aspects of the book. And, and for me, that was fun because you're, you're sort of being introduced to this whole pantheon of um, deities and gods that, yeah, you might have passingly heard of, but actually a lot of them I wasn't familiar. Um, and... You're introduced to them in a way, and, and this is actually a, a difficult balancing act for most writers to do. You don't want to info dump yeah. because you're not going to be like, this God, here's what he does. But at the same time, you do need to give the readers a little bit of context. And I think um, Ole Talabi actually manages to do that quite nicely because you get a taster of what these gods are like and how they operate. But at the same time, that sort of quite satirical boardroom structure, which I enjoyed tremendously, helps normalize it a little bit for you. Um, there's one particular scene about halfway through the book where you literally get a board meeting. And that's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole book because I can imagine it as a movie. I can imagine watching it in a in a TV show or a movie and enjoying it tremendously. Yeah, that. Um, but it's also a pantheon. Yeah. So, so you get both those things, right? You get to be introduced to a pantheon of gods um, while also continuing this whole company boardroom conceit, which I think worked very, very well. I think it's worth maybe talking about the book and how it works as a whole because it it does a few things and I think we tried to talk about that uh, during the interview as well. It is simultaneously an action-driven heist, heist story. Yeah. Um, there is also a romance that's threaded through the thing and then there is mythology that just seeps in throughout. And I think that for the most part, it balances all of that very well. Wole talked about readers struggling with the time jumps. I admit that I did, um, but that is a personal thing, as in I, I'm not sure that the book could have done anything differently. Um, I, I'm somebody who who needs to, but also immensely dislikes the need to have to go back to the earlier chapter and go, okay, so this was earlier and then now we're a bit later and then after this, you know. So that's a personal thing. Um, but I appreciated the ways in which those scenes either furthered the main story or sometimes threw you so far back in time and, and made you kind of think a little bit more about the mythology. Again, it's that balancing act. Actually, I didn't struggle so much with the time jumps, but for me, if I had a if I had a criticism of the book, it would be that a lot of the um, stuff that was introduced, even the different eras that we visit, I kept wanting more. You're kind of dropped in for a little while, and then you're not sure, right, whether you're going to come back to this time or is this episode kind of done. So that's tricky, right? Because at the same time, you want to know if they're going to make it. Yes, absolutely. Be because it's an yeah. existential threat that yes. they're facing, you know. In in a very fundamental way. Yes. And so it's it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag because on the one hand, yes, I agree with you. You know, you, you want a little bit more of what happened before the fall or, you know, what um, what Noma's history might be like a little bit more of that. Shigidi talks about being homesick um, and, and I would have liked more of that as yeah. well. So because he... how. I, I guess I'll put it the way the book puts it. Uh, he chooses to go freelance, right? <laughs> and, and therefore, you know, is, is cast out in some ways yeah. from where so he used I, to live. I almost wanted to know what his um, pre-freelance job and life had been like. That because sounded terrible. I know, right? Um, but, but 
so I can understand why Wole means that there's plenty to revisit and plenty to expand on. I hope some of them involve flashbacks. Um, the other thing is that I think there's a lot of story, um, which isn't a, a bad thing, right? It's it's great to read a novel where you feel like there's a lot of things going on that exists outside the edge of the story that you're telling. Um, but where that started feeling a little bit like, oh, now we're rushing towards the end, mm. is actually the heist. Lah, because I would have liked maybe to have a little bit more space to, to live with that 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 whole sequence because by that point you're already nearing the end and then if you're reading the physical copy of the book you can see that there's only this much left and you're like oh okay so we're not going to have a lot of time left with this um, which for me felt a little bit oh, oh it's already at the end okay um, but I would read more definitely of these characters because I find them so interesting yes me too um, I'm quite excited to read more of Wole's short stories I think um, and I mean this we, we've done many shows on the subject of short stories and how much we both appreciate the form. I think, honestly, a lot of the pacing and the, the ways the chapters function felt like I was reading really good short stories that interconnected. And so because of that, I'm actually quite excited to read how he would actually write Short stories, right? In essence, yeah. Um, No, I'm definitely more, uh, I'm definitely interested in reading more of these characters, but I think I am interested to see how Wole writes in the short story form because I haven't read anything else that he's written. So we've been talking about Wole Talabi's Shigidi and the Brass Head of Obalufon. Let us know, have you read it? Do you enjoy speculative fiction that is, that draws on mythology and cultures? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789- Tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.